It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here at Colorado Springs. And I want to thank you for tuning in today. We are continuing in our study of the suffering Christian. And you're thinking, wait a minute, is this the show I want to listen to as I'm just beginning my, oh, I don't know, the the beginning of your journey into 2021? You've got high hopes and and great expectations, perhaps. And last week, we we examined Romans chapter 12, and we're really getting into uh, helping us understand, I believe, a little bit more of this idea of patience in the midst of tribulation. And, And I believe that when we really examine the landscape today, I don't think that our problems are going away just because the calendar year has changed. Just because it's 2021 doesn't mean whatever you're struggling with just magically goes away. Rather, we've got to hit these things head on. We've got to address the circumstances that we face with a better perspective, a biblical perspective, knowing how God sees adversity and why he even prescribes adversity. Yes, he does that in our lives. He knows exactly what we need and when. And sometimes suffering is exactly what we need to stretch us, to refine our faith, and and ultimately conform and sanctify us to the image of Christ. God loves you so much that, yes, he'd even prescribe struggle in your life. And so here we are in a new year, and I want to pick up today in 1 Peter chapter 4 as we examine this theme of trying to understand why bad things seem to happen to good Christians, the suffering Christian. Let's pick up here, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, 1 Peter was written to early first century Christians, and they were beginning to endure great trials because of their faith. I mean, the whole book seems to deal with this matter either directly or indirectly. This this theme of suffering and tribulation and struggle and, and, and perseverance through it. The, the Apostle Peter has already mentioned some of this even right out of the gate, the opening of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, we can read this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he exhorts his readers to be alert and watch as they pray, and to do so without grumbling. And then he speaks to the suffering Christian, and to continue their spiritual growth without uh, you know, getting into this posture of complaining and being so grieved and crippled by their circumstances, they have failed to see what God is doing right in front of them. And this is what we call sanctified suffering. 
And now listen to this. Here's some things that we need to process through this. Number one is that suffering is guaranteed by God. Okay, 1 Peter 4.12 tells us that. Thousands of Christians were being brutally tortured, murdered, even burned at the stake as a result of their allegiance to Christ. So as, as a result here, Peter's reference to fire, that would have been particularly poignant to them. I mean, they would have understood clearly uh, the suffering that, it, that came with that. In fact, we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 38. It says that others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Let me pause there for just a moment. That that part is very striking to me because here there's individuals being tortured and they didn't want relief from that. They weren't going to recant their faith. They wanted a better resurrection, one that brought glory to God, even in the midst of their being tortured. Here's what he says, verse 36. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You see, this is uh, very symbolic here because Peter urges his listener, his reader, to not be surprised at this intense fiery trial or suffering that was coming upon them. The Greek word translated as strange is xenos. It means a foreign thing. And many Christians today even seem to be taken back by this difficult circumstance or situation that's going on in their life. I mean, many Christian groups today, seemingly in the Western culture especially, are advocating some kind of pain-free life if, you know, they have enough faith in God, I mean, if their prayer is strong enough, if they speak tongues enough or whatever the circumstance might be, they, they could somehow escape through without suffering in any way the adversities of this life. And that's not what Scripture tells us. In fact, it's a direct contradiction to that. Our Lord reminds us that we will be persecuted because He was persecuted in John fifteen twenty. And if we want to live godly lives— then we should expect trials to come, according to 2 Timothy 3.12. So if you want to be like Christ, you're going to be set apart from the ways of this world. Therefore, there's going to be a big target on you. The enemy is going to come after you and can only do what the Lord allows him to do. The enemy seeks to destroy us. I mean, 1 Peter 5.8 is quite clear on that. He is a roaring lion who seeks to devour. But the reality is, is God has him on a chain and he will allow him to inflict permissible wounds but we have to have the right attitude when adversity comes. That, that's really the issue here. Seneca once remarked that fire tries gold, misery tries brave men. And I believe that statement is only partially true. I mean, if the truth is known here, all of God's children will be tried and tested in some way. So Peter says that we should not be surprised when suffering comes since it's guaranteed by God. He also tells us that suffering is graced by glory. Suffering is graced by glory. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, let me give you some sub-points of that. A, that pain is profitable. Pain is profitable. The Apostle Paul said that he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings, Jesus' sufferings, according to Philippians 3.10. So Paul had clearly learned the lesson that Peter has for us today. Too many Christians seem to base their responses to pain and suffering solely upon their emotions and feelings. 
Have you heard about this today? It seems like we, we constantly use that word F-E-E-L to assess everything. And in the midst of intense pain, no one feels like rejoicing. Okay, the response Peter calls for is based upon a choice, a choice, not a personal feeling. James gives us some insight in this when he says in James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The Greek word rendered there for count is hegeomai, which means to consider. So it's about a mental evaluation, not an emotional response. The early church faced fierce persecution and they responded with rejoicing because they had considered it worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ, according to Acts chapter 5, verse 41. It was like they were allowed to suffer for Jesus. They were permitted to suffer for Jesus, and therefore likened them unto their Messiah, to suffer for what he suffered for, for doing righteous works, for being a Christian in a dark world. B, here's another sub-point, God is with us. We talked about Emmanuel just a few weeks ago as we were celebrating Christmas. God is with us. We have to remember that God never sends us anywhere alone. He goes with us through every event of life. You can go back to Psalm 139, 7-12 on that. I mean, he was with the three Hebrew children, boys, as they endured a literal fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. And he was with Paul when he faced the hostility of unsympathetic rulers in 2 Timothy 5. Peter says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So God is with you when you struggle. He is not absent from that situation at all. We've got to get that mindset completely removed from our thinking and critical thinking as we assess God's holy word. He doesn't just send you off with an instruction manual and hope you figure it out and, and report to him later on how it went. No, he, he wants you to know that you are not alone. It is so hard to experience hardships and pain and suffering by ourselves. But when we know that God is with us, boy, it can give us the strength that we need, that peace, that joy, the endurance to see it through, to get through to the other side. It's not just about overcoming our struggle, but what we do through our struggle, that God is with us. I mean, think about from Stephen's perspective. Stephen who in Acts chapter 6 was being falsely accused, taken before a council, they're about to stone him, i.e. they're about to execute him. And it says that his face shone like an angel. And then he sees the glory of God. And, and it was like the Shekinah of glory around him. God was right there with him. And 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with us. Now, pain also leads to expansion of ministry. That's right. It leads to the expansion of ministry. Suffering for Jesus Christ is also graced by glory because God will expand our ministry through it. I mean, spiritual maturity and usefulness are enhanced through these unlikely agents of suffering and pain. I mean, I'm convinced that my spiritual growth is accelerated through the endurance of pain and hardship for the cause of Christ. Now, I don't know if that, that relates with you at all, but I can look back and see how God has worked in and through my life that through those struggles that he took me through, it sharpened me. It made me better in my service to him because it, it caused me to go to his word, to repent, to deal with things that were unconfessed, to go to his word and understand his will and ways, and to be sharpened in that through the trenches of warfare. We will go deeper with him as our savior. We will have a more intimate relationship with him. And through various trials, this produces genuine faith 
that is more precious than gold, according to 1 Peter 1.7. It also, D, strengthens our faith. Okay, the suffering strengthens our faith, as I just alluded to. Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, a faith not worth testing is a faith that is not worth trusting. And when we're going through these painful circumstances, it's amazing how God will use that to get our attention. Unfortunately, we tend to go through those ebbs and flows where when we're at our worst moment, we're repentant, we're reading, we're praying all the time, and then suddenly we're given reprieve from whatever circumstance that we face, and then we have this tendency to stop praying as much, stop reading as much, get a little complacent, a little apathetic to the things of God, and then we go right back to that cycle all over again. C.S. Lewis once remarked that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So as we commit the guarding of our souls to him, according to 1 Peter 4, 19, we're expressing our total trust in his loving care. Now, here's another point. E, sin is revealed in this. When we go through struggle, persecution, the suffering Christian, what we find is that there is sin that is revealed. Okay, God allows us to suffer, to be tested through a variety of painful circumstances, and he does so in order to purge his church of sin. Okay, that's right. We we have a tendency of starting to look like the world at times, getting entertained by the things that the world is entertained by, uh, laughing at the things the world laughs by. We start allowing uh, some colorful metaphors to start to infiltrate our vocabulary again, and, and we're not acting like the Christians that we're supposed to be. So God's judgment, according to 1 Peter 4, 17, begins at the house of God. And then Peter goes on to say, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So those who are not obedient to God are not exempt from suffering. It can feel like that at times, right? As Christians, we can feel like those around us who don't trust and and, and revere God and aren't obedient to him seem to just get away with everything. I mean, everything seems to be going their way, yada, 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 right? We, we have this perception that is not reality, that they seem to be just living it all up while we're suffering for Jesus Christ. Even Jeremiah felt the abuses of standing firm for Jesus, for God's holy word, and for his spoken word through him. In Jeremiah chapter 20, you see that, where he just doesn't even want to do it anymore because he's just getting beat up for Christ, for God. And I say Christ in that because God and and the Son are one with the Holy Spirit. That's the triune nature of God. Uh, Jesus was at the beginning as he was even through the New Testament. So I say that often, but what we have to understand here is Jeremiah was being a mouthpiece for God. He didn't want to do it anymore. But yet he understood as he was struggling with the flesh then, because the flesh wanted to do everything opposite of what God was calling him to do. And as he's going through this struggle, this this mental jumping jacks that he's going through, he comes to the conclusion that he has to. There's a fire in him. He can't stop, even though it knows, even though he knows it comes with persecution. He has to continue to do it. Why? Because he has his eyes on the prize, according to what we read here in 1 Peter chapter 4, that's F. That's another subpoint here. We have our eyes on the prize. Our suffering is graced by glory because it causes us to yearn and long for our heavenly home. I read uh, Romans 8, 18. Let me read that to you here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So experiencing severe pain helps us remember that life is very short And that there is a better life awaiting us in the future. I I mean, this is a gift that he has for us. We'll never be separated from him again 
in the flesh even, the new flesh that will inherit is we receive a new body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35 to 49, and we'll see him in all of his glory and we'll never be separated from him. We need a little endurance though to get through this, right? I mean, because time in this vessel, you remember in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul is giving that assessment there. He's like, I, there's, a, there's a desire to be with the Lord, but I understand that there's a mission to be done here on earth. I, I get it. And having been at a number of funerals, there's a, sometimes a little bit of jealousy that peeks up in me when I see these faithful believers who have lived a life of service to God and we are honoring their legacy, but more importantly, we're celebrating their graduation. They've just been given a new skin, according to 1 Corinthians 15, a new body that will never let them down again. And they're in the glory of God to worship Him and see Him and praise Him without limitation, no longer needing rest even as they skip about, even with these new vessels that soar with almost like wings like eagles, right? I mean, so yes, there is a desire to get to that place and to do so to his glory, right? That we don't want to show up empty-handed. We want to serve him faithfully and produce the works that he has called us to, not to receive salvation, but because of salvation. And so we need a little endurance as Christians. There there was an ad that ran in 1914. A London newspaper ran this interesting ad. It's total reverse psychology, I'm convinced. Uh, We don't advertise like this today. Here's what the ad reads. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. And you're like, what kind of ad is that? Well, that ad was actually put together by Sir Ernest Shackleton, who was an Antarctic explorer. And that ad drew thousands of respondents who were eager to sacrifice everything for the prospect of meaningful adventure. Their lives were so stagnant, they were desirous of purpose going out and doing something that others were unwilling to do. And here, all Sir Ernest Shackleton was trying to do was get to the South Pole and and get across the entire Antarctic, right? He wanted to get to the furthest southern point, and he wanted to traverse the entire landscape. And he failed multiple times. And then this particular ad was put together in which he decided he was not going to give up. Despite all the failures and hardships, he was going to push forward, and he put together a crew, a ragtag crew, to go back on a ship they called the Endurance. And so that begs the question, what are we made out of as Christians? Do do we have the grit that, that uh, tenacity, that perseverance to say that what I experience in the flesh that is temporary in this vessel is paling in comparison to the glory that awaits. It's worth the suffering. If God is for us, who can be against us, according to Romans 8.31? And it means that we have to keep our eyes on the prize. James 1.12 tells us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Look, when you have this kind of confidence, when you understand that you are operating in the full strength of God and not in your own, you're going to take on hell with a water pistol. You know what I mean? Because you're putting it in proper perspective. And this leads us to another point, G, heavenly war stories. Heavenly war stories. And what I mean by that is I have this picture in my mind of us sitting around the campfires of heaven someday. We're there around those campfires. We've got Noah on one side, maybe, Adam, Paul, King David. I mean, we're gathered together 
And of course, this may be even during the thousand-year reign with our Lord Jesus here on earth. Maybe it's after in the New Jerusalem. But either way, I just have this image in my mind of there we are together, sharing stories of what God had done through us, that he receive all the glory, not bragging in ourselves at all, but what God did through us. And it requires some fortitude in Christian mindsets today that when we see adversity, we don't tuck and run. We push through it, knowing that God has a purpose even in this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 20-25, he tells us, For what credit is it if, when you were beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, but whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So not only is suffering an unavoidable reality for Christians, it's also graced by the glory of God as we suffer for our Lord's sake. And I listen, I feel sorry For those Christians who want to sit on the sidelines their whole life, they're going to be boring to listen to around the campfires of heaven. I mean, if you have one life to live, which we know we only have one, we only have one to give to the Lord Jesus and sacrifice for his glory, then make your journey a good one. I mean, fill it with risk for Jesus. Fill it with total faith decisions. Fill it with going out on a limb for your faith. Don't let fear defeat you and don't let the situation cripple you. You are more than conquerors, according to Romans 8.37. Let me read this to you. Hopefully this encourages you a little bit. It encourages me. Theodore Roosevelt said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is not effort without error and shortcomings, but who does not who but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You see, the Lord allows us to be tested According to 1 Peter 1.7, this is the only way you can grow in your faith. I mean, God uses the tough circumstances of your life to build the muscles of your faith, to keep you from trusting in something other than his word. We also find hope that God loves to restore people to himself. So when our faith fails, God does not. We are conquerors through our struggles, not just when we are conquering over them. And he puts us into situations that would defeat most people. So we're victorious only through him alone. He did this with Israel time and time again. You can read Joshua eleven six, 6, where the Lord told them that he was going to deliver the enemies before them and that they were not 
to take any of the chariots for themselves. They were to burn those chariots, hamstring the horses even, do not use any of their military might because the Lord was going to bring them through that adversity. So God is in the details of our journey. It's in these moments that our character is defined, that our scars are formed and our war stories get good. I mean, we live at interesting times with the days that lie ahead of us here that are going to test our character, our grit, our heart, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Are we firm in what we believe? Are we strong in our faith? A faith that's grounded in truth in Jesus Christ can endure the storms of all the hardships that you may encounter this year. Let me end with this. There was a man named Caleb in the Bible, and he kept his eyes on the prize, and and, and he's going to have some war stories to share with us around the campfires of heaven. He was chosen by God to to serve alongside Joshua. And and someone gave me this poem about Caleb, and I thought it was so fitting for today. Here's what it says. He stood before Joshua with flashing eyes. Give me this mountain before I die. But Caleb, you're old and the mountain is high. Choose a peaceful spot on this plain to die. The people who live on the mountain are strong. The battle you fight will be bloody and long. His eyes never wavered as he spoke without fear. I've been promised this mountain for 45 years. And as for the people being mighty and tall, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. For it's not my strength on which I'm counting. For the Lord is going to give me that mountain. So let's quit talking while there's still light. For the Lord, I have a battle to fight. Indeed, we have a battle to fight, brothers and sisters. And whatever you're about to go through this year, whatever struggles you've already come out of, Maybe you've gone through some real hardship in 2020, and you're looking now into 2021 with great expectation. And whatever adversities may come your way, you can trust that you are not alone. God is with you. God is going to fight the battle with you right at your side. You are not alone in this. And there is victory that awaits, but keep your eyes on him, fixated on him. Have premeditated cognitive commitments. Go back to Philippians 4.8 on that to understand what I'm saying. Make a decision. Choose this day whom you will serve and know that God is with you, my friends. If you have been encouraged by this broadcast, I want to encourage you to check us out at calvaryfountain.com. This is a broadcast of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. This is, my name is John Bornchain, and I'm the senior pastor there, and I would love to give you a hug. I would love to worship God with you. Our services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We've got studies all throughout the week. And at Thursdays at 9 a.m. to 10.30 in the morning, gentlemen, I'm, I'm leading a Bible study for you. We're in the book of Nehemiah right now. Ladies, same time on Wednesdays as they go into God's Word together. There's all kinds of activities that are happening at Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. We would love to worship God with you. Again, learn more at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends.